0: this is an incredible deal. You don't want to miss it. Go ahead and sign up at com slash join.
1: It was just a show that I wanted to listen to myself and it didn't exist. And so
0: I made it. If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, this is the show. This is the show don't keep your day job. My name is Kathy Heller, and I'm a singer-songwriter. I make a living doing what I love, and I want that for you. This is the show that's going to help you do that and give you not only inspiration but some real-life strategies. This is going to help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. Thanks to VideoBlocks for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Get a free seven-day trial by going to videoblockscom job. Remember, they are giving away seven days of so You can try it out and explore this new collection for free. Go to videoblocks.com slash dreamjob. Thanks, Videoblocks. Hey guys, this is Kathy Heller and welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. This morning I was taking a walk and I was thinking that so often people don't go ahead and do what it is that they want to do and we've talked about all the reasons why and I think there's two things going on. Number one, people want to avoid pain and so they'd rather stay in their comfort zone because it's so uncomfortable to think about facing their own inadequacy or where do you start? It's so overwhelming. But the second thing is I think that, as I said before, Purpose is the opposite of depression, and everyone is longing truly to feel a sense of purpose and to feel like they're aligned with what they're here to do in this world, and I always tell you that that's your job every day to figure out why are you here and what do you have to contribute, and I think part of it is people think, well, why is that so important to be baking or knitting or painting, and why would the world be such a better place if if I do what it is that I love? Why is my passion going to be something that actually makes a difference? And I want you to think about this for a second. Imagine the world without any art. Imagine the world without music, imagine the world without bakeries, imagine the world without stationary stores that you look through and you see all these cute little gifts and items. Imagine the world without color, basically. Imagine the world without clothes, imagine the world without stores like anthropology and candles and spas. Imagine the world where it was just metrics and numbers and science and the basic needs to survive. There's a great quote from Dead Poet Society and Robin Williams, of all people. He has this quote and his character says, We don't read poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. And medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. And he goes on to say, like, if you're here in this world... Your job is to contribute a verse of poetry. Your job is to add to that tapestry. So I hope that when you're feeling those moments of loneliness and emptiness, instead of looking for the next haircut or the next outfit or the next thing that is gonna fill you up from the outside, I hope you'll spend a little bit more time looking at how you can go ahead and do more of what you love and remember that we really do need it. The oxygen of this world is all of the color and the music and the art because artists are the people who have the courage to feel and they put that into a song or they put that into a painting or they put that into another craft that they're working on and that expression and that color is what allows other people to feel their feelings and where would we be without it. Every time I've ever gone to a Broadway show or a movie or I listen to music or I go to a museum or I'm walking through some beautiful store or I'm at a spa or I'm doing something that has to do with my soul that has nothing to do with my basic needs, that's when I come alive. That's when I start to feel things and that's when I have epiphanies and I can understand things in a new way and see the world in a new way and learn and grow and you are here to do what you love. And as you continue to contribute what you love, you're gonna help the world to feel and you're gonna help people to feel alive in a way that they only do when they are breathing in other people's expression. I've loved getting all these amazing emails and you guys are sending me examples of your work. I'll be talking about my favorites on next week's episode. I already found a few that I love. If you guys want to send me a sample of your work, go to no day jobs. That's N O D A Y J O B S no day jobs.com. And you'll get instructions on how to send me a sample of your work. And I will be talking about my favorites on next week's episode. So go ahead and get the instructions and sign up. Also, I am so excited because I'm launching another resource for you. So I've been thinking about creating some kind of a more in-depth course and i was also thinking about creating more of a platform so that i could talk to you i've been doing these pop-up video sessions where i'll talk to like 15 people in a group call on video chat and i will hear what you want to do and give you some feedback and i really like doing it so i wanted to help you guys more and create more of an outlet for you to share what you have in mind and for me to give you some feedback I know that after you listen to an episode, I hope that you might be excited and you, you have all these ideas, but then maybe you get overwhelmed the next day and you're not sure how to implement it. But I want to actually see you make change. So this time next year, I want you to feel like there's progress. I want you to take these ideas out of your mind and put them into action and start to get results so i wanted to come up with other things that i can do to really get to know you and i've loved doing these pop-up video sessions so i figured why not create a platform where i can talk to you more and give you more in-depth ideas and advice and suggestions and i could also give you some more worksheets and put you in a program where you would be accountable and have assignments so i'm really excited to dive into that so so in addition to the podcast, if you also want to meet up with me um, once a month for a few months over video chat and you want to get some specific feedback step by step, you want me to sort of streamline everything we talk about in the podcast and put it into a course and worksheets and assignments and you also want to meet up with me, I've decided to make the course very, very affordable. I want every single person to be able to afford it. So if you want information about the class, it's not going to be expensive. It's going to be something that is within everybody's budget. And it's going to be a way for me to work with you, to, to actually see your face and to work with you over video chat and to connect with you and to dig in deeper and take what it is that you are chewing on that you want to do and really help you streamline it and implement and put this into a plan and to actually start working step-by-step and looking at some assignments and the things that we talk about, and then I can hold your hand through it. Yeah, you have to just trust your gut in life. And I just feel that this podcast is more than a podcast now. It's a community. And I've gotten to know so many of you through your emails and through your Facebook comments. And I feel you. And I really want this to be something that turns into results. I want you to listen to the show. And then I want to systematically help you streamline all of the key ingredients that we're talking about on the show and then give you assignments and help you start to put things into practice. And then Literally meet up with you over video chat and talk to the class and hear from you and give you specific ideas and feedback I can't wait. I'm really really excited. So if you want more information about this class if you want to get on my mailing list. If you want instructions on how to send me your works because I'm gonna pick um, my favorites and talk about them and the people who created them on next week's show, go to nodayjobs.com and sign up and then I will send you back instructions to send me your work. And then I will also send you all the information on my class and you guys can start enrolling, and then we will start the course and start diving in, and it'll just be an additional resource. I decided to figure out a way to make it very, very easy for everybody to afford, so I'm really looking forward to it, and I can't wait. So go to nodayjobs.com, that's N O D A Y J O B S, nodayjobs.com, and you can sign up and you can get more information about the class. I am looking forward to getting to know you guys even more and getting to see you on video chat and giving you assignments. I believe in you. I know that if you want to do something, it was put inside you for a reason and you wouldn't have been given that vision if it wasn't meant for you. Thanks to Videoblocks for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Get a free seven-day trial by going to videoblocks.com slash dreamjob. So Videoblocks is an affordable subscription-based stock media site that gives you unlimited access to premium stock footage. Videoblocks has one of the fastest-growing largest stock video libraries with over 3 million videos. They have After Effects templates and motion backgrounds. This includes the only contributor marketplace that gives 100% of the commission back to the artists. It's very cool. I have been so excited because every time I go on there, whatever it is that I'm searching for, they already have videos for. So I was looking up videos of Florida State University where I went to college and they have videos of Tallahassee and videos of school and it took me back. And I was searching for videos of where I grew up and they had videos of Boca Raton, Florida, and they had videos of outer space and they even had stop motion videos which I thought were really, really cool. You can search by topic like love or hero or you can search by a word, a proper noun, it's really cool. So I've teamed up with Videoblocks and they're offering us all seven days of a free trial. And don't forget, downloads are yours forever. So even after your trial ends and 100% royalty free, you're gonna to get to keep all that. So go to videoblocks.com dreamjob or click the link in the description box. That's videoblocks.com dreamjob. I am so excited to have Mignon Fogarty on the podcast today. She's one of the people I looked up to for so long. She's one of the best at what she does. Her podcast was named One of the Best in 2007 by iTunes. She's been on Oprah. She has a best-selling book, and not only does she do the podcast Grammar Girl, but she also started a whole network of podcasts. She's definitely an inspiration. She's so great at what she does. If you guys have not listened to Grammar Girl, you definitely want to check it out. She had an audiobook, and Oprah Magazine listed it as one of its must hear years. She's just fabulous and I'm so glad she's here. Uh, We're going to dive in and hear her story. All right. So I'm so happy that you're here. I am such a fan of your podcast. It is so inspiring what you're doing and how you've built such a loyal following. Kathy, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on your show. Oh, that makes me so happy. So we want to start at the very beginning. So when you were a kid, did, did you love grammar? Like where did this start for you?
1: I didn't love grammar, but I loved writing. Um, I grew up in Seattle, and it rains a lot there. Mm-hmm. And so you, you may have heard that. <laughs> so, um, My mom would take me to the library a lot for little classes because, you know, we couldn't play outside that much. So I remember going to poetry classes and story writing classes at the local library, you know, when I was five and six, and I just always really loved that. I really loved writing, wow. and I worked at my school newspaper, and I worked at my college newspaper, and I worked at the local newspaper doing layout, actually not writing. And the other thing I remember, I didn't remember this until recently, but when I was eight or nine, my grandpa got me a little recorder, and I would go around my house recording myself pretending to interview people. Oh my so gosh. I guess I was an early podcaster.
0: That's so <laughs> cute. I could just totally see you doing that. So did you ever think when you were working at the paper or writing or using that little handheld device. Did you ever think one day you were going to be doing something like this as a job?
1: No, I mean, I didn't even, this wasn't even a job back then. It's so new. Um, I I thought I would be a newspaper reporter. That was really what I thought I would do or hoped that I would do.
0: So what happened next? When you went to college, were you studying thinking to study journalism. What was going on then?
1: Well, I did. I studied English, and um, I worked at the paper. And But, you know, I was the first person in my family to go to college. And so, although I had these dreams, I getting to college really was the dream. And when I graduated, I didn't know how to go about getting a job. I didn't know how to network. I didn't know how to ask for informational interviews or any of the things that now seem you know, so obvious or maybe kids get more training, but, but I just had no idea how to get a job after college. And so I ended up doing a series of random things. I sold signs and I worked (laughs) for an insurance broker and, and I just had all these odd jobs. And then I actually ended up going back to school, um, in science because I I thought that I wanted to be a science writer and, um, It took this interesting detour through science that ultimately brought me back to doing a science podcast, which was
0: the first podcast I did. Well, tell us about that. When was that?
1: Oh gosh, that was in probably around 2000 because I I dropped out of grad school at Stanford to um, join dot com startups, and <laughs> they all went out of business. And I ended up um, freelance writing and editing as a science writer and editor, and. I loved um, NPR Science Friday, and podcasting was this new thing back then, so I started a science interview podcast back mm-hmm. in, gosh, I think it was 2005, 2006, and did that for about eight months before I ended up switching to Grammar Girl.
0: Okay, so you're you're selling signs, <laughs> and you're working in an insurance agency, so that's a very big difference from starting your first podcast. What were the steps there? How did you have the courage to do that and leave those jobs, which were at least paying you something, and take this risk? How did that all sort of transpire?
1: Okay, there was a long delay between that. So I had the jobs, and I was just realized I wasn't going anywhere. So I actually went back to grad school. So I quit those jobs and went into a PhD program in biology at Stanford, which was like this weird detour. But I had gotten really interested in science but then realized I wasn't dispositionally suited for it. Uh So I ended up (laughs) dropping out and joining um, a bunch of startups during the dot-com days. Got it. So so I was in Silicon Valley during the dot-com boom, dropped out of school, went through a series of companies that all went out of business, and then ended up freelancing. So I was kind of eased into this working for yourself thing. Got it. And you were
0: freelancing. And what were you doing? Were you doing writing? What were you doing as a freelancer?
1: Right. I was doing writing and editing for... um, biotech companies and science trade magazines and things like that. And then I was I was kind of bored out of my mind because I was writing user manuals for DNA sequencers oh, God. and things like yeah. that. Oh, my gosh. You know, it pays really well but it's sort of soul crushing. Yeah. And, and so just as a side project to keep myself Interested and mentally stimulated, I started um, doing the science podcast because I, it was. I heard about this new thing called podcasting, and it sounded so exciting. It reminded me of the early days of blogging. You know, yeah. you could go directly to the audience, and so I just I love technology, so I just jumped in and and gave it a try. I went to online forums to learn how to podcast and asked a bunch of questions and you know, try to pay it back and help people now. And,
0: and what was that experience like with the science podcast? How, how did that go? You started it, so you just put it out there. And what happened? Did you get an audience? How did that go?
1: Right. I had a modest audience and it won some awards, some early wow. podcasting awards. But because I was working as a freelance writer, I knew that it wasn't a good financial Situation: It was taking me about 20 hours a week to produce this podcast because it was a lot harder to do interviews back then. And I had a co-host and we were scheduling guests and it was tons of editing that I was doing myself. I see. And so, you know, and there wasn't the ad platform like there is today for podcasting. So we'd have an ad occasionally. But when you're a freelancer, time is money. So I was definitely losing money on that enterprise. But I had grown to love podcasting. So I wanted to keep doing it and not spend so much time. And so that was when I switched to Grammar Girl, which was a shorter show. It's just me. So I don't have a co-host. I don't interview people. Mm-hmm. So I can do it a lot faster. And it was it's short. When I started, especially, it was three to five minutes. So it was a quick tip about writing. And it was really just a way to keep my toes in the water of podcasting and then much to my surprise it just took off and within six weeks it was number two at iTunes. It just wow went it just blew up, you know, with crazy traffic right away. And then I started getting um publicity because it turns out writers think it's fantastic that a writing podcast is doing well. <laughs> so yeah. A lot of writers were excited to feature it. Yeah. And so the Wall Street Journal picked Grammar Girl as their web pick of the day. And that really... What year was this? That was, I believe, late 2006. That's when you started, 2006? Yes, it was. Because I started in the summer of 2006. And then it was November when the Wall Street Journal um, had this story.
0: I mean, you are so good at it. Your voice is so (laughs) captivating. You sound like anybody's like best friend but you're so interesting you're very very good at it but that's very that's amazing that it happened so quickly so were you still freelancing did you have other jobs at the time what did that look like i was
1: i was freelancing i had lots of biotech clients and big projects and and so i was juggling it all i mean you know like i said i was sort of trying to cut back on the podcasting and then instead it it started taking even more time so for about 6 months i think i i juggled both, trying to do all my freelance work and um, produce the podcast. And then because I had been at startups in Silicon Valley, when Grammar Girl took off so quickly, I knew it could be a bigger business. Uh-huh. And so um, I quickly started the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network and brought on a bunch of my friends to produce shows on different topics. So You're I,
0: the person who did that? I am. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing because I, I know that there's a, a bunch of them. That is so smart. So tell me about that. So I felt like what made
1: Grammar Girl successful was the short, scripted, don't waste your time, fun, friendly, useful advice format. And I thought that can be applied to anything. So it started with Grammar Girl, but then we brought on Money Girl and The Mighty Mommy. And back then we had Legal Lad and The Modern Manners Guy. And these were all shows with a similar format, but on a different topic. And we're a network. So we cross promoted each other, you know, and help each other grow. And um, it, it's funny, because it's it was an intentional branding choice to have most people think of me as Grammar Girl, even though I'm the founder of the whole network. And I'm, I'm still involved in running the network. I don't do the day-to-day operations but i'm in close contact with the people who do and i how many shows are there total you know i think there are 14 or 15 now there's a lot
0: so you were still juggling the other jobs for about six months and then when you parlayed into doing this full-time is that because you were making enough income from this full-time
1: Yeah, but what most people don't realize is that it wasn't the podcast that let me quit my day job. It was the book deal. So when oh my god, tell us about that, (laughs) right? So, you know, I'm struggling along podcasting and have an ad here or there. But when the Wall Street Journal did its article, I got calls within a week from five or six different New York publishers who all wanted to do a book deal with me because it shoots and leaves had been such a bestseller. Oh,
0: I love that book. Oh, my gosh. My, (laughs) My husband's an attorney and he's such a like a grammar like nerd and he I I read that book I think Wave of First Dating. It's so good. <laughs> and your recent podcast episode about the comma and the person who won the lawsuit over it's just right. so brilliant. Okay, so so you got a book deal? So right away? Tell right. Us about
1: that. And so, you know, and and I I almost get embarrassed because I I have friends who are writers and I know how unfair it is, but I was one of the early platform authors. So I didn't even have to write a book proposal. Like publishers just came to me and said, we want you to write a book. But at the time, what's interesting is that I was looking for a partner. Because again, having been at Silicon Valley startups, I knew I couldn't grow this business myself as much as it could grow, um, that I needed a partner with um, capital with money. So I was looking for a partner. And um, I talked to a number of the publishers at the time. And it turned out, McMillan, who I ended up partnering with and doing my book deal with, they really got what I wanted to do with Grammar Girl and with Quick and Dirty Tips. They saw the same way I did that Which it could be. Which ones? What?
0: Tell us everything. What do you What do you mean by that?
1: So, I mean, at the time, it was just the podcast and a bare bones website. Yeah. But you know, I knew it could be. Games and newsletters and a really big, well-functioning website, and that I could give talks and, you know, I mean, at the time I was, we could do game shows. You know, I mean, there's just. Oh my god, you're so
0: smart. (laughs) This is like the most delicious thing to listen to. I don't think you, I don't know if you realize it, but it's (laughs) you're so bright. It's so, it's so smart. Okay, so they came to you, and then instead of you just saying, "Yeah, let's do a book," you said, "Well, wait, I have all these other ideas," and they said, "Okay."
1: Exactly. Yeah. Oh my
0: God, that's amazing!
1: <laughs> so it was—it was really amazing. I went to New York. You know, I live in Reno at the time. I lived in Arizona, and you know, I flew to New York and I met with them in person and um, I gave them my pitch and I met with you know a bunch of people from the company and then the um, executives took me up to the top corner office at the top of the Flatiron Building in New York, which is like this famous building. And I, I was like, okay, I'll sign. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. And um so you know we we formed the partnership and so they are my partner in the Quick and Dirty Tips network. But the initial money was for a three book deal. So I got a book in advance. Three books.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> amazing. Okay. So you started to write that book and how quickly did they want you to have it?
1: Right. I think it was 8 months. I want to say it wasn't really really fast. It was a, a reasonable amount. Of, I mean, that is kind of fast, but it, it is. was a re- <laughs> It was a reasonable amount of time to, yeah. to publish a book.
0: And you're a writer, and you're a good writer, so that wasn't so overwhelming.
1: Right, and it was based on my podcast. So in my, my podcast, I'll have transcripts. So, you know, I had material
0: to start with. I just needed to sort of massage it into a yeah. book. structure it. So you do that, and that was the, the money, that was the seed money that you lived on that right. first that, that took you through that first eight months, and then how did the book? How did the book do? The book was a New York
1: Times bestseller. It was Look at an you. <laughs> It was an amazing experience, um, and I credit my fans you know the podcast listeners because what a lot of people don't know is that to make the new york times bestseller list it's really based on how many books you sell in a one week period wow so, so what you really need to do to get on the list is have everyone go buy that book in the same week wow. <laughs> it's not the total sales over a year or anything like that and right. so wow, that
0: is, know, I, I didn't know that that's just very very interesting
1: Yeah, so I talked about it in my podcast and I let people know that it was gonna happen and that it was upcoming and then and then when I said it's for sale, people went out and bought it.
0: And how many listeners did you have at that time?
1: Oh gosh, it was a long time ago. I maybe fifty thousand.
0: That's a lot. Fifty thousand per episode is already a lot. Yeah. Okay. So that's huge. I mean, to start with that, that's significant. Um, so then you launched the book. Now other podcasts are happening at the same time. When did that start, the other ones in your network? Well, the other ones
1: started right away. Right away. I had five or six shows in the network by the time I partnered with Macmillan.
0: Oh my god! Um,
1: And then, what was also interesting is then we went through this sort of like this really difficult growth period where you know I was becoming much more busy, but at that time I was still managing the day to day operations of the network. Oh, that's too much! And we were growing and bringing on new shows, and I was editing everyone's scripts. And oh my god! Wow! And so in I think it was two thousand nine when then. I renegotiated my partnership with Macmillan, and they took over much more of the day-to-day operations. And I stepped back from being sort of the top decision-making person Uh so I could focus more exclusively on Grammar Girl because it became really clear that that just needed to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah. So since 2009, you've been doing that, and it's grown to be – I mean, it was already sort of there from the beginning, but it's one of the – most popular podcast overall, not just in your category, like overall. Um, I know because when I started this podcast in January, there were like three podcasts that I looked up to as sort of a, a go-to and what I thought was really well done and brilliant and creative. And this was one of the three. Um, oh, yeah. That's so nice. Thank I you. mean, every, every, well, everybody thinks that, I think. <laughs> so what's your life like now?
1: So Another twist in this story is that yeah. three years ago, I got an offer to be a professor at the University of Nevada in Reno. Wow. So I wasn't looking for a job at all. And so yeah, I... Yeah, you didn't need one. I didn't need one, and I was busy. But you may remember I was a, in a PhD program at Stanford. That's right. That's right. And I, at that time, I imagined I would be a professor. I really wanted to be a professor. Oh. And... And so um, a radio professor at the University of Nevada in Reno invited me to give a guest lecture in his class, a podcasting class. And I came in and the students were creating podcasts and I went around the room and I explained to each of the students with their little projects how they could turn it into a business. And after class, the professor said, we have an open position for someone to do what oh exactly God. what you just oh did. Oh my
0: gosh.
1: <laughs> He's like, I don't know if you're looking for a job, but it closes in two weeks. So wow.
0: can you, can you speak a little bit to that? Because we do have, you know, a lot of listeners who have different um, creative pursuits, but some of them are aspiring podcasters. What are some of the things that you said to that class about how to turn that into a business?
1: Right. Well, I talked to them about not only relying on ads, but but how you have to diversify your source of revenue because you can't always rely on ads. We have quarters where ads are really light. And in those periods, we rely, you know, we're really grateful that we have book revenue or that I can generate speaking revenue or, um, you know, that the web ads pick up the slack when the podcast ads drop off. So um, it's really about finding as many different ways to make money as you can so that if one slides or fades, the others are still
0: there to provide a buffer. It's a lot like stock portfolio investing. Yeah, diversifying it. What do you think, I mean, I have my own ideas because I already said how just endearing you are and you're so like fun to listen to. But in your mind, what do you think are the ingredients that make this show so successful?
1: Well, when it started, I thought that it was because it doesn't waste your time, and it's useful, yeah. mm-hmm. and I try to be entertaining.
0: So, <laughs> you are. You are. All uh,
1: thanks. I mean, especially back in, in 2006, a lot of podcasts were um, very rambling, long conversations. I
0: know. I hate that. I really and, do hate that.
1: I know, and I never liked those, so I was really just making something that I thought I would like, and, and also, a lot of the grammar advice back then was, really snarky and mean, you know, people trying to show how superior they were. I know,
0: and, very pretentious, and yours uh, is not, yeah. And I,
1: I try to be really approachable. Like, I'm just here for people who want to write better. I just want to help. Like, I'm yeah. not going to make fun of anyone or, or anything like that. So I think a lot of people were comfortable recommending it to a friend because they knew it wouldn't make their friend feel bad.
0: Yeah. It seems like things came pretty easily to you. Is that they correct? Did. Yeah.
1: I feel like things came really easy and then I worked my butt off to keep it going and to make it grow. I mean, the first three or four years, not only did I not take a vacation, I didn't take a weekend off. I mean, I worked very hard the first three or four years.
0: Wow. And when you say working hard, is that working on your craft, like working on the writing, or is that reaching out to partnerships? Was that strategizing? What do you think was the biggest piece of that time spent?
1: Gosh. Well, I wrote seven books in six years.
0: Oh, my God. that is and a And
1: like I said, I was managing all the writers, all the hosts of the other shows yeah. for the first three years. Yep. I wish I could say I was working on my craft. I was just running as fast as I could in yeah. every direction, putting out fires.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. I think that people feel, you know, sometimes that if somebody's made it, then they were lucky. But if you're sustaining success – you're working really hard. I mean, you know, things aren't just like that simple, but now you've probably, because you've worked so hard, you don't have to work as hard anymore. Is that correct? Right.
1: Although I feel like I do, I always feel like I'm not doing enough. That's Um, how I feel (laughs) every second. (laughs) So I, I do feel like I need to do more and I'm not putting enough into my business now that I've had this job as a professor for three years. I've been trying to do two things at once, and I thought that I could manage it. But what I found is I feel like my business really still needs me, and I need to give it more. So actually, I I mean, and I have loved being the chair of media entrepreneurship at the University of Nevada. It's been just an amazing experience. But I'm quitting that job at the end of this year to devote more time to my business.
0: I see. Tell us more. Why does it need more time? It's already successful. What do you think that you're going to be doing with that extra time?
1: I might um, do two shows a week instead of just one. And over the last three years, one of the ways I've gotten through it is by using guest writers who are amazing. I couldn't have done it without them. And I will continue to use them, actually. But I, I miss writing my show myself. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's not as good, but it's not the same when... I don't do it you know and I found that I was outsourcing the part that I actually enjoyed the most because it was the easiest part to outsource yeah so you know there's that and then I've been teaching social media at college and every time I'm teaching I'm thinking I should be doing this for myself (laughs) like I'm teaching the students about you know Pinterest but I'm not really on Pinterest very heavily and Mm -hmm. and so I'm I'm spending time teaching students to
0: do things that I right. wish I were doing myself right. Right, right, right. for my
1: business. Right. So
0: The reason I asked that is because uh, and it led to so many great answers, but I think it's because people don't realize how much consistency things take and um, really getting behind it, not just being good, but being outstanding. And like if you already have some traction, then it's about going even further and really um, engaging your audience as much as possible. So one of our recent guests has made a whole living just with his Instagram account. You know, he's a ceramics artist and you were just talking about social media. So I'm curious what advice you have in that realm. Right. Well, you know, one thing, one of my students just today asked, gosh, do we have to be
1: on every single platform? There's so many. And my answer is no. Pick one or two that you really love doing because you have to do it a lot and you have to do it consistently. And if you don't enjoy it, you won't. So find one or two that you love and put as much effort as you can into those and just do them really well and then if you get to the point where you can add another one it'll be a lot easier to add that one because you know you can tell all your followers on twitter and facebook hey i'm on instagram now come follow me there so it'll it'll be easier to build your platform on the third or fourth network but don't try to do it all at once just when you're just getting started pick one or two and and focus on that don't get overwhelmed by everything that you could be
0: doing just just pick a couple and do them well. That's great advice. Um, when you say be consistent, how often do you think is ideal? Um, well, I think a podcast
1: should come out at least once a week Mm -hmm. and on social media, it really depends on the platform. Like Twitter, you could tweet 10 times a day on Facebook. I shoot for twice a day posting. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of people post more, but to me, that's the right amount for what I do. Uh Um, I think if you're if you're serious about building a social media following, you should post on Facebook at least once a day. And I know there are people who post five or six times a day.
0: What do you think are the good things to post? Like, does it have to be content? Could it be a quote? Could it be a picture? What do you think is, is good enough?
1: I think it should be a mix. So, um, again, it kind of depends on the platform. But it's really good to post things from other people, too. So don't oh. just post your own stuff, but curate things that your followers will be interested in, but that don't necessarily come from you. So that way you establish yourself as not just someone who's self-promotional, but as an expert in that area and someone that people trust for recommendations. Interesting.
0: Very cool. Um, Why do you think it's so important to be consistent? And I'm asking you this for the sake of, you know, everybody who needs to be educated. What's the percentage do you think of people who are so consistent?
1: Well, of the people who are successful, I think they're all consistent, usually. You know, I think it's okay if you wax and wane a bit. But you want people to get used to how you are. When you're building a brand, you want people to know what they can expect from you. I mean, it's funny because my husband always says, don't compare yourself to McDonald's. That's bad. But, you know, (laughs) when, when you go to McDonald's, whether it's here or in the middle of nowhere along a freeway on a road trip, you know what you're going to get. It's right. it's the same, and you have that sense of comfort and familiarity, right. and that's why you stop, even though it might not be the best burger. I mean, it definitely probably isn't the best burger you could get, <laughs> but it's safe, and you know what you're going to get. Right. And I think people really gravitate to that. They, yeah. they like that comfort of knowing what to expect.
0: Absolutely. So if
1: you're all over the place, I, I don't think they'll consciously trust you less, but I think they'll have a harder time committing to you. Mm-hmm. as part of their regular media diet.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. So that's an incredible position to be. You were said you were the chair of entrepreneurship and media. Is that what it media was? Media
1: entrepreneurship.
0: Media yeah. entrepreneurship. That's such a great job. Well, it was
1: so hard for me to decide that I had to leave uh, because it is an amazing
0: job. But it's so obvious. You've built such an incredible business. I mean, it's It's a dream job. It's a dream job. You get to do something you absolutely love doing. You've been so smart creating all these other revenue streams and a whole network and you have a book deal and you've been speaking. So given that you've been in this space for a while and you're clearly successful and so, so bright, if somebody's listening to this, which they are, and they want to start and they don't know what are the things to focus on, what are the things to be thinking about if they want to start their business, what are some of the things that you think are really important as an entrepreneur when you're starting and you want to start to walk towards it, but it just feels overwhelming.
1: I think that you don't have to be perfect when you start. Um, people always ask me where the first eight episodes of Grammar Girl are, and I took <laughs> them down because they were so bad. <laughs> um, they, they were embarrassing, and I, I have re-recorded them all so nobody's missing anything. But I don't think you should let, you know, it's an old proverb, don't let great be the enemy of good. Mm. and. That's really true. When you're starting podcasting, record some test episodes. You don't have to post them if you don't want to. If they are horrible, but you know, don't wait for them to be perfect either to post them.
0: That's great.
1: You know, I, I see a lot of people who think about podcasting and they think a lot about the equipment that they need to buy. Yes, but that's I think true. But I think you need to think more about your audience and what they need. I think people listen to a podcast typically because they identify with it in some way. So, you know, people look at my podcast and they think, I love grammar. I love language. That's for me. If there's a cooking show, you know, maybe a like a foodie show. People are like, that's me. I'm a foodie. I want to listen to that. I'm a knitter. I'm, you know, or I love NPR style storytelling. I'm a smart person who loves storytelling. I think you need to figure out why people will identify with your show. What is it that makes your show something that people would embrace and want to engage with and, mm-hmm. and listen to every week? And so that can that can be a small tweak in how you present the show to the world of course and then you have to communicate that information with just your show title and logo typically <laughs>
0: yeah yeah and your logo is the best it's one of my favorite the artwork is just so good i love it too and that that
1: mcmillan hired the artist who did that so i can't that's take great. credit for that no, but
0: it's it's really you i mean it's it's it feels fun and approachable and that's great what you were saying about making sure that you're you're doing what your audience needs and wants How did you assess that? Did you do like a validation sort of call out and ask people, did you have a survey or did you just try different things? (laughs) I mean, it's so funny because, you know, I'm helping students write
1: business plans and do branding and I didn't do any of that. It was just, in a lot of ways, like as you say, the show is me. It was just a show that I wanted to listen to myself and it didn't exist. And so I made it. And then it turned out I was really lucky and there were other people who were like that. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So,
1: you know, I I have no problem saying I was just really, really lucky at
0: the beginning. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I think the reason it took off is because it's so good. And I think you're so smart. And do you think that your little parlay into your PhD? Do you think that any of that is stuff that you use? Do you think it helped you in some way? Oh,
1: yeah. I use it all the time. It was such a broadening experience. In what way Uh, do you think that that's helped you? Well... Number one, it taught me critical thinking in a way that I didn't learn it as an undergrad. So, you know, I was in science. I'd never really been in science before. And we were reading journal articles and picking them apart and finding where the holes were. So it really turned me into a critical thinker. And that's something I just use all the time in everyday life, whether it's business or not. But then being at Stanford and in Silicon Valley during the dot-com craze in the knowing people who started businesses that became just wildly successful, like yeah. billionaire success level successful. And just seeing, you know, someone who you used to be in class with now doing that all around you, it was just transformative psychologically in a way that is hard to understand or explain. Oh, it
0: must be. I mean seeing somebody who you were used to sit next to and now this person's a billionaire. Right. What do you, and you worked at those, what quote unquote, failed startups, although it seemed that right. that really helped you in some way become successful. What do you think you were learning from that?
1: I think it opens your mind to what's possible and that you I start believing that. you can do it. And I think believing you can do it is half the battle. Wow. And just seeing that the people who go start companies, you know, they aren't, Smarter, they—they're not superhuman. <laughs> you know, they're just people who work hard and have a good idea and right. got, get lucky and take advantage of that luck. I mean, there are a lot of people. You know, when so when I started Grammar Girl, you know, I was a successful freelance writer. I had a good little business. Right. And there were people in in my family, like family friends, who said, "Why would you give up everything you've worked so hard for to go do this risky thing?"
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know. And there were people who discouraged me from pursuing Grammar Girl and. It's just a mindset. I knew that it was an opportunity that I would regret not trying. And yeah. I, I do believe really strongly in having a backup plan. So when I left grad school, I didn't quit. I took a leave of absence for a while. And, you know, when I started Grammar Girl and committed to it. I I had clients, freelance clients, that I knew I could go back to if this didn't work out. You know, I mean, it didn't seem all that risky. I always had a backup plan. Uh But there are people who wouldn't even take that risk, having a backup plan. And I think being in that startup environment habituates you or or, or makes you much more willing to take risks.
0: Wow. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's interesting how you look back on your life and all of that played a part. All of it.
1: Yeah, on paper, it looks like a very logical progression and it it was really just more trying different things and following what was working.
0: Right, it's one of those things, even beginning with working at your newspaper in high school, college, like all of that has led you here, all of those things.
1: Don't let fear of people thinking you're dumb or thinking you're pushy or stupid from pursuing your dreams and goals. It's like, you have to
0: try. You have to get out there and try. What ultimately is your why? Why do you want to wake up every day and do this show?
1: Because I I really feel like I'm making a difference. I feel like I help people. Do you feel like it lights you up? It's fulfilling? You enjoy it? It does. You know, when I sit down to write an episode and I finish it, like I was so happy when I finished my episode last week. I was like, this one is good. Oh, so
0: good. I love that one. <laughs> I love Thanks. it. Thanks. Yeah, I loved writing that. And I felt good at- afterward. It's amazing how that change the course of this person's life like it's so dramatically you know it was really powerful if anyone hasn't heard that episode go listen yeah 10 million dollar comment that was that. just insane <laughs> um, what I was going to say about how much you love it is that Howard Thurman quote he says uh you know don't ask what the world needs ask what makes you come alive and go do that because the world needs people who come alive so no, I haven't I haven't heard that I like that yeah I do think that you being the happiest most creative version of you is an am- amazing way to serve the world what's next for you Where do you want to go from here? You've already accomplished so much.
1: Hmm. I want to get to a point where I feel like I'm on top of my business again. Like that's going to be the next six months to a year is just feeling like I'm fully engaged with that again. Mm -hmm. I have always wanted to write a novel. And if you listen to interviews with me from eight years ago I was saying I wanted to write a novel and I still want to write a novel I'm very I'm actually very involved with Camp NaNoWriMo I'm on their writer's board and so and I've participated a couple of times and so I'm uh I'm going to continue to work with the Camp NaNoWriMo people and maybe one maybe one day I'll
0: finish my novel <laughs> wow that's exciting I'm sure you're going to do that absolutely I'm sure it's going to be great what a delight to have you on. You are a force to be reckoned with. I, I feel like there's nothing you won't be able to do. It's exciting.
1: Thank you. So
0: thank you so much for doing this. Where can people find you?
1: Right. Well, I think the primary thing that's best is for people to subscribe to my podcast, mm-hmm. you know, wherever they listen to podcasts, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher or, or some other um, app or, or location. And then you can find all my writing, most, almost all my Grammar Girl writing is at quickanddirtytips.com and then um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook as Grammar Girl and I'm on to a lesser extent but I'm on um, Instagram and Snapchat and I couldn't get Grammar Girl at those places so I (laughs) just search for me
0: (laughs) (laughs) awesome thank you so much Mignon thank you so much for being on thank you for having me it's an interesting discussion I love listening to that story I just learned so much so much that pertains to my particular life so much that I can use and I hope that that was interesting for you too Okay, here are some of the takeaways. Number one, when you're creating your business and starting small, diversify your source of revenue. Find as many different ways to earn money. Number two, determine what you're good at and then work your butt off to grow those skills. Number three, when it comes to social media, find one or two that you love and then put as much effort into that platform as possible. Number four, in branding, consistency is key. Number five, you don't have to be perfect when you start. Don't let great be the enemy of good. Number six, if there's something out there that you want, but it doesn't exist, go make it. Number seven, opening yourself up to what is possible and believing you can do it is half the battle. And number eight, don't let fear of judgment or rejection stop you from pursuing your dreams and goals. Put yourself out there and remember, what's the worst thing that could happen? Thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. We have so many good guests coming up. Please subscribe to our show. Tell your friends. One cool thing that you can do is post about us on instagram post about us on facebook and tag me in the post you can tag me on instagram at at kathy heller or you can tag me on facebook and it makes me so happy to see you guys sharing the show it helps us so much i know it feels like what's one person that's subscribing or one person sharing it going to do but every time you guys post and you share you are the reason why i have a voice and you are the reason why we're getting to do this show and i hope that it's truly helping and serving a purpose and reminding you of what you have within you and how you gotta get busy doing that. And whether it seems practical or not, the most impractical thing is not using the time you're here right now, day after day, to make yourself genuinely happy and do what you love and pursue your passion. So thank you guys for subscribing to our show. Thank you for leaving us reviews on iTunes. If you wanna send me your work, I'd love to see it. Go to no And by the way, if you go to no you are gonna be on my list and I'm gonna let you know about something very cool that I'm about to launch, um, which is going to, I think, be another great resource for you. Hope you guys have an awesome day and we'll talk to you next week. I wanna give a shout out to the amazing team who makes this show possible. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.